0: Let's pray, because we need God's help to understand the Bible. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and for your Holy Spirit. Please give us a love for your word now, and please work in us through your spirit to help us listen and be glad at the good news of this passage. Amen. Now, I don't feel most days like my life is very victorious, I don't feel like I have many victories each day. Now, there are some, um, some small victories, uh, like getting the email count in my inbox down to zero. Um, sometimes I'm victorious in the bathroom when I clean the mould off the shower and get it sparkling. Take that mould, victory. Some, some nights uh, when Catherine and I, my wife, we, we play a board game, I win. Finally, victory over my wife. And and that big one um, every day, the victory of getting the kids to actually eat all their dinner, without half an hour of negotiations. Small victories. I wouldn't really say that my life is victorious, though. And it it feels like this in my Christian life too. Not many victories. Despite my best intentions, I keep failing. I fail to to obey God, I I give in to temptation, Uh, I sin. Not many victories there. And then when I look around me, I look at at the rest of the world and and Christianity in our society, uh, it doesn't feel like we're winning. The consistent message we get from our society is, at best, you guys are irrelevant, irrelevant. So just be quiet, sit there in the corner. And do your religious thing. Where is the victory in the daily grind of life? Because I do hear talk about victory in the Christian life. Living a victorious life. But it just, it doesn't connect with me. It doesn't seem real. It feels like failure is more normal. I would love to wake up every day with, with confidence confidence. I'd love to look at the things against me and say "Ha! I'm not afraid. I'd love to know that I'd have victory that day. Would you like that too? Would you like a victorious life? Please open up your Bibles at Joshua chapter 10. Joshua chapter 10. We're going to look at Joshua chapter 10 to 12 today and there's lots of strange names and strange places in these passages, but don't worry, it's actually quite simple. These passages break down into two sections. There's, there's two military campaigns. There's uh, war in the south of the Promised Land and then there's war in the north. So what's happened so far in Joshua? Well, Joshua and the Israelites, remember, they've crossed over the Jordan River and into the Promised Land. They've taken out the cities of Jericho and ai and then last week in chapter 9 we met the people of Gibeon, the sneaky sneaky people of Gibeon. These Gibeonites, they tricked Joshua into making peace with them. And so the Gibeonites escaped destruction. They became Israel's servants instead. Now news of all these events has spread throughout the land, and the king of Jerusalem, not far from Gibeon, he hears this news and he is terrified. Jericho has fallen, Ai has fallen, Gibeon has switched sides, what's next? So this king, a guy called Adonai Zedek, he calls together four of his friends, four other Amorite kings, and they form a gang. And these guys want to teach Gibeon a lesson. They get mad. They're going to beat up Gibeon. Let's read again, let's read again from Joshua chapter 10 and verse 1. Joshua chapter 10 verse 1. Now Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and that the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace with Israel and were living near them. He and his people were very much alarmed at this because Gibeon was an important city, like one of the royal cities. It was larger than I, and all its men were good fighters. So Adonai king of Jerusalem, appealed to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Debiah, king of Eglon. Come up and help me attack Gibeon, he said, because it has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon joined forces, And they moved up with all their troops and took up positions against Gibeon and attacked it. This Amorite gang, they come up to Gibeon to push them around. They're like the school bullies. So Gibeon calls their big brother into the fight. They call out to Joshua to save them. But still, it's five armies against one. The odds are against Joshua. Joshua. So God speaks to Joshua and he says this, don't be afraid, I've got this. You will be unstoppable because I am giving you victory over them. It's the whole theme of this book of Joshua, isn't it? Be strong and courageous. Read on with me from verse 6. The Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal. Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us, because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. So on the morning of battle, the the sun rises, and Joshua's men, they've been marching all night. It's five armies against one. But they surprise the Amorites and they completely destroy them. It's a huge victory. But as we read through this battle account again, you'll notice one warrior stands out. There's one fighter who really secures victory. Can you guess who it is? I'll tell you it's God. It's God. Yahweh. Yahweh is the warrior. He rolls up his sleeves, he straps on his sword, and he, he gets to work. God throws the Amorite army into panic. God, then he, he throws down huge hailstones on them as they run away. And these hailstones are more deadly than the swords of the Israelites. And then if that was enough, God stops the sun. Joshua cries out, I need more time, we've got to finish this off. And God says, no problem, I've got this. And he presses pause on the sun and the moon. They hang in the sky, giving more more daylight. And Joshua gets an extra day to finish off the five armies. Have you ever uh, dreamed of being able to stop time just for a bit? Who wouldn't want an extra day on demand? Imagine how much of your to-do list you could get done if you could just press pause on everything. I mean, it's an incredible miracle. How could, you, how could this ever happen? How, there's no way to explain it. unless, Unless God is doing the fighting for Israel. God who made the sun and the moon, who directs all their course. God, this God has come to the fight. Let's read, let's read again, let's read this battle account and see God fighting. From verse 9, verse 9, after an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel, who defeated them in a great victory at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road going up to Beth-haron and cut them down all the way to Azekar and Makeda. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Bethlehem to Azekah, the Lord hurled hurled large hailstones down on them from the sky. And more of them died from the hailstones than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. On the day that the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, O sun, stand still over Gibeon, O moon, over the valley of Ejelon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped the nation avenged itself on its enemies as it is written in the book of joshua the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day there has never been a day like it before or since a day when the lord listened to a man surely the lord was fighting for israel then joshua returned with all israel to the camp at gilgal well with their armies cut down by god those five Amorite kings run off with their tail between their legs and they hide out in a cave. But Joshua finds out where their cave is. It's near a town called Machedar. And Joshua, he traps them in the cave with rocks. They're like rats in a cage. And Joshua is saving these kings up for later. He wants to make an example of them. Later on, after all the battle is finished, Joshua goes back to the cave and pulls the five kings out to make a show of them. And his point is to remind Israel just where victory comes from. Joshua pulls the kings out of the cave and he reenacts their defeat. His commanders, they they put their feet on the necks of these Amorite kings and as they're grinding their faces into the dust, it's obvious they are utterly, totally defeated. And the message is this. This, this is what God will do to your enemies, Israel. So be strong and courageous. Have no fear. God is fighting for your victory. Let's pick up the story in verse 22. Verse 22, Joshua said, Open the mouth of the cave and bring those five kings out to me. So they brought the five kings out of the cave, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish and Eglon. When they had brought these kings to Joshua... He summoned all the men of Israel and said to the army commanders who, came, who had come with him, Come here and put your feet on the necks of these kings. So they came forward and placed their feet on their necks. Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, be strong and courageous. This is what the Lord will do to all the enemies you are going to fight. Then Joshua struck and killed the kings and hung them on five trees. And they were left hanging on the trees until evening. Don't stop. Don't be discouraged, Joshua. And Joshua certainly doesn't stop. He, he sweeps through the south of the promised land like a tsunami, just wiping out everything in his path. He takes Makeda near the cave. Victory. That same day, he attacks a place called Libna. Victory. The next day, it's off to Lachish. Victory. Then Eglon in the afternoon, victory. Off to Hebron, victory. And then Debir, and you guessed it, victory. Long march through the south of the promised land, victory all the way. They move through the country at lightning speed, just steamrolling these cities. But again, it's not their own stamina, it's not their own tactics that win the victory. In verse 30 we read about Libnah, and it says the Lord also gave that city and its king into Israel's hand. Then later on in verse 32 it says the Lord handed Lachish over to Israel. The Lord God hands over city after city to Joshua. Victory after victory because God is their warrior. He is the one stepping on the necks of the enemies. Now, chapter 10 ends uh, with a summary of all this, a summary of this, this southern campaign. Joshua subdues the whole region in one swift blow. How? Because God is fighting for him. But this fighting, this this what God does, we, we have to be clear, it, God is not at a distance. God is intimately involved in this fight. He's not, he's not passive, he's not just playing a support role. It's not like he's, he's standing on the sidelines of a, of a football game and calling out orders. It's not like he's playing chess, you know, pushing pieces around at a distance. God is actively, intimately fighting for his people. So let's read the summary of this campaign from verse 40. Verse 40 to 43. So Joshua subdued the whole region, including the hill country, the Negev, the western foothills and the mountain slopes, together with all their kings, he left no survivors. He totally destroyed all who breathed, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had commanded. Joshua subdued them from Kadesh Banea to Gaza, and from the whole region of Goshen to Gibeon. All these kings and their lands, Joshua conquered in one campaign, because the Lord, the God of Israel, fought for Israel." Then Joshua returned with all Israel to the camp at Gilgal. So that's the southern campaign. But meanwhile, off in the north of the promised land, another king hears about what's been going on and he is filled with dread. This guy's name is Jabin, king of Hazor. But Jabin is a fool because he goes up against Joshua as well. And he goes above and beyond the southern king Adonai Zedek in gathering an army. He forms an even bigger gang to make war on Israel. Jabin searches far and wide, high and low, east and west for anyone who will join him to make war on Israel. Let's read about him from chapter 11, verses 1 to 5. Chapter 11, verse 1. When Jabin king of Hazor heard this, about the southern campaign, he sent word to Jobab, king of Madon, to the kings of Shimron and Aksaph, to the kings, to the northern kings who were in the mountains, in the Arabah, south of Kinnereth, in the western foothills, and in Naphoth-dor to the west, to the Canaanites in the east and the west, to the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and Jebusites in the hill country, and to the Hivites below Hermon in the region of Mizpah. They came out with all their troops and a large number of horses and chariots, a huge army, as numerous as sand on the seashore. And these kings joined forces and made camp together at the waters of Merom to fight against Israel. All those places, endless list of all these kings and their armies getting together to fight against Israel, a massive army. And they have the cutting-edge military technology of the day. They have horses and chariots. Israelites don't have those. Horses and chariots. This This is the ancient version of the tank. So Jabin and his multitude, they ride out this great war machine. So again, God speaks to Joshua. He encourages him and says, Don't worry, I've got this. By this time tomorrow, they'll all be dead by your swords. You can burn their chariots and you can cut their, the horse's hamstrings. You don't need cutting-edge man-made technology for victory. You have me. Let's read on from verse 6 in chapter 11. Verse 6. The Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them, because by this time tomorrow I will hand all of them over to Israel, slain. You are to hamstring their horses and burn their chariots. So Joshua and his whole army came against them suddenly at the waters of Merom and attacked them. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Israel. They defeated them and pursued them all the way to Greater Sidon, to Misrephoth Maim, and to the valley of Mizpah on the east, until no survivors were left. And Joshua did to them as the Lord had directed he hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots. a vast army. They're powered by modern technology. But with God fighting for him, Joshua is unstoppable. He defeats the army, he burns Hazel to the ground, and he has victory in the north. So, south and north, Joshua experiences victory after victory. And chapter 11 finishes with another summary, this time of, of the whole campaign, the whole uh, um military campaign throughout the promised land. And in this summary, we see that God has even more control than we've already seen in a battle. He even controls the hearts of the enemy. As God goes out to fight, he hardens the hearts of the Amorites because he wants to totally destroy them. See, God wants to scrub the land clean. He wants to scrub the promised land of the Amorite sin. He wants to get at this sin out of every corner of the land, prepared for his people. The Bible tells us that, that God has been waiting for centuries as the sin of the, the Canaanite, the Amorite people, that sin piles up before him. But now God acts, he strides out into battle to, to defeat them. And north, south, east, or west, God is unstoppable. Let's read this summary from verse 16. So Joshua took this entire land, the hill country, all the Negev, the whole region of Goshen, the western foothills, the Arabah, and the mountains of Israel were their foothills, from Mount Halak, which rises towards Seir, to Balgad in the valley of Lebanon below Mount Hermon. He captured all their kings and struck them down, putting them to death. Joshua waged war against all these kings for a long time. Except for the Hivites living in Gibeon, not one city made a treaty of peace with the Israelites, who took them all in battle. For it was the Lord himself who hardened their hearts to wage war against Israel, so that he might destroy them totally, exterminating them without mercy, as the Lord had commanded Moses. And the final result of all of these victories, the final result for God's people... Is rest, rest. Finally, no more fighting, no more enemies, peace in the land, life, life without fear, just like God has been promising. And so we come to the last verse of chapter 11, verse 23. So Joshua took the entire land, just as the Lord had directed Moses, and he gave it as an inheritance to Israel. According to their tribal divisions. Then the land had rest from war. So God wins victory after victory for his people. They get to rest in the land. Now, if you listed out all of God's victory, it'd be a great reminder of what he's done. It'll be a long list of victories. And in fact, that's exactly how this section of Joshua ends. Chapter 12 is a long list of victories. It's a list there for the Israelites to go back and read through. But it's not something they can look at and then gloat about it. It's not a list to show how strong they are. No, no, as, as the Israelites you know, trace their finger down this list of names of, of defeated kings, they were supposed to remember what God had done, how he had given them victory and rest In chapter 12, it's not just some list of weird, boring names. This is God's greatness. This is his faithfulness listed out. This is a picture of God's hand grabbing the sword to defeat his enemies. This is God's intimate involvement in winning the battle. But having said that this is a great list to read, we're not going to read it right now. So what have we seen? What have we seen in chapters 10 to 12? North, south, east, west, if you're against God, you're doomed. But if you're with God, you have the advantage. Joshua's war shows it. Miraculous victory against the southern kings, complete victory in the north, even against massive odds. And Joshua doesn't need to fear. Not chariots, not multitudes. Joshua has God striding out ahead of him. If you're with God, you have the advantage. In fact, victory is already yours. Friends, we Christians today, I think, need to hear this message too. God actively fights to hand his people victory. But these victories we read about in Joshua were just a shadow of what was to come. Because God has actively, intimately fought for you in Jesus. He has won the ultimate victory. For the Israelites, it was the foreign nations stopping them from living in the promised land. But for us, what stops us from the true promised land, from entering God's eternal kingdom? What are, who are our enemies? Well, our enemies are the devil. Our enemies are our own sin and the final consequence for sin, death, eternal death. This is the gang that we face, death, sin and the devil. But friends, God actively, intimately fights for his people. The victory is already won. You see, Jesus became one of us. Jesus lived a full human life. Jesus faced all our temptations. Jesus joined our war. He's standing in the mud on the front line. Jesus didn't uh, play a support role. Jesus didn't stand off in the distance saying, you can do it. Jesus didn't even just give us orders for battle and leave us to do our own work. No, Jesus took on skin and bones and felt pain he felt sorrow and he succumbed to the most tragic human experience, death. But in his life, he resisted sin. In his death, he went to the cross and beat the devil there. And he rose again from the dead, beating death forever. And now you can be part of that victory. You can trust him to pay for your sins. You can trust his perfect obedience. You can trust him to give you eternal life. And although physical death will get you, unless Jesus returns first, we'll all die a physical death, you don't have to fear what's on the other side. You won't have to face your punishment for sin if you trust Jesus. The devil no longer can point at you. He can't can't point the finger at you and say... You dirty sinner, you deserve death forever. Because the devil's got nothing. He's got no weapons anymore. He's hamstrung. Jesus has his foot on the devil's neck. So you can live now free from the fear of death. If you trust Jesus. Now, the passage on the inside of your outline there from Hebrews chapter 2 says all this. Let's read it again together. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says, Since the children, that's us, since the children have flesh and blood, he too, that's Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and so that he might free Those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. We can have that freedom from fear now. And then finally, on the last day, we can join in with Jesus' resurrection. His victory will be our victory. We will be immortal. God will hand us the final victory over death. And as it says in 1 Corinthians 15, we'll say, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Through Jesus Christ, our ultimate warrior. This all sounds fantastic, if you ask me. But what about our daily life? Please don't mishear me here. The Bible doesn't promise that we won't sin, the Bible doesn't promise that we won't struggle. We will sin, we will struggle, we'll fail. It won't feel victorious a lot of the time. But we can have comfort and hope in the daily grind because victory is not found in our efforts, in our strength. Victory isn't even found in our ability to have faith. No, victory is found in Jesus, in what he has done, already done, That is our hope, our confidence, our comfort. When we sin, and we will, we can look at the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus and we can ask for forgiveness with confidence. We can look at the cross and the empty tomb and say, ha, see, look at the victory Jesus won for me. Even when the devil is attacking, even when we face the fear of death. We can have confidence, joy. We can have every reason to keep trusting God. Remember, friends, north, south, east, west, wherever you go, wherever you are, if you're not trusting in Jesus, you're doomed. Without Jesus, sin, death, the devil, they will defeat you. But if you do trust jesus you have the advantage victory is already yours even in the daily grind because victory is not found in our strength not in the strength of our faith but victory is found in the object of our faith jesus christ in his life in his death in his resurrection jesus holds the sword and you can be on his side So are you with him? Are you with him? Yes? Then you have the victory. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the victory Jesus has won. Thank you for the confidence we can have that our enemies are already defeated. Please help us to rejoice in that victory. Please help us to turn back to you and ask for forgiveness when we fail. We pray for those who are finding the daily grind hard. Please encourage us, give us joy, give us determination, knowing that the devil is already defeated and death won't have the final word. Father, we praise you for our warrior, King Jesus. Amen.